We're in the middle of Practical Christianity, Sermon on the Mount style, and uh, today we're going to talk about uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12, and then tonight we'll conclude our messages on the Sermon on the Mount. Really have not done justice to it. There's too much in there, and we haven't gotten in the weeds, but I do think we've seen God is speaking to us. What does a practical Christian look like? And that is what we've been studying. Aren't you glad God gave us the Bible? You like that song, get the new look from the old book, get the new look from the Bible. Someone said about the Bible, though the pages, though the cover is worn, and though some pages are torn, and though places bear traces of tears, yet more precious than gold is the book worn and old that can shatter and scatter my fears. When I prayerfully look in this precious old book, many pleasures and treasures I see, many trophies of love from the Father above who's nearest and dearest to me. This old book is my guide, it's a friend by my side and will lighten and brighten my way and every promise I find soothes and gladdens my mind as I read it and I heed it each day. God gave us the Bible for two reasons. Number one, to show us how to get to heaven from here. If you're here today, you're not sure if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven. You're not sure if life ended for you. I was speaking to one of our men this week and he said to me, my next door neighbor died this week. Watching them take him, the coroner's office, take him out of a home and put him into a van and taking him to the mortuary knowing that I would never see him again and death would separate us in this lifetime. I hope it will not separate us eternally. Everybody ought to be ready. You cannot tell. I was sitting in a living room or, excuse me, a dining room table yesterday with a sweet family. I had led to the Lord. And, and we read Proverbs chapter 27 together. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. If you're here today, you're not sure if you were to die, you'd go to heaven. Please don't pass go. Don't collect $200. Don't leave those rooms. Don't leave this room this morning without letting someone take the Bible and show you how to be saved. If you are saved, that's the second reason for the Bible, to teach us how to live after we know we're going to heaven, because the Word of God will change us. The Word of God will give us spiritual understanding. The Bible says, the entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. The most successful, calm, purposeful people you'll ever meet in your life are people who are one and one with the Scriptures. They know the Bible. They love the Bible. They meditate on the Bible. They obey the Bible. But in that Bible that you and I hold in our hand this morning is the world's greatest message preached by Jesus Christ himself. The Bible tells us that he had the multitudes following him, and he went a little higher in the mountains with his disciples, his discipline following ones who would listen to him, and he gave them the Sermon on the Mount. I think he gave it to them to tell them how they should live, who they were, and how they should live, practically speaking, as a child of God. You see him in the beginning of it, he gives them the blessed attributes of people who are saved. He said, I want you to be poor in spirit. I want you to be meek. I want you to be merciful. I want you to hunger and thirst after righteousness. I want you to, to uh, be willing to suffer persecution. If this world hated me, they're going to hate you. And he says then, he says, this is your blessed attributes. But he says, you have a responsibility to broaden your influence, your salt and light. He said, this world's not going to understand you, and they will give you, they'll pressure you against what is true. And that's what persecution has to do with a lot of pressure, sometimes from within, sometimes without, some from, from friends, sometimes from foes. 
Because they're going to pressure you, but I'm not going to take you out of this world. This world needs you. They need you to make contact with them because you're salt and you are light. And this world needs both of those. Salt gives flavor to light. It, it retards the, the bacterial infection that goes natural with this world. Our world is not getting better and better. It's getting worse and worse. And, but Christians should be salt. They should create a thirst in others. They must make contact. They must make contact with this world. And then he says, you're, you're a light city set on the hill. You've got an influence that is very important. But then he, he gave them some bold contrast. He said, while you're in this world, if you're going to make salt and light, number one, you need to get your relationships right. You've heard it been said, you can't kill. But I'm saying to you, if you talk derogatory or critical of your brother and sister, you've committed murder in your heart. You say you hate your brother and sister. He takes it to another level. If we're going to be the Christian job, number one, our relationships must be centered on not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. If you're going to make an impact in this world, not only do you be right with your relationships, you be right with your morality. Because you've heard it said, thou shalt commit adultery. And all you're focusing on is the act of immorality. I'm talking about what's going on between your ears. I'm talking about what's going on, the lust of you have. He says, you can't make an impact in this world unless... Your relationships are right. Your morality is right. And then he moves from there to talk about their marriage, about divorce and remarriage. And he said the biggest thing here is to understand in context with Matthew 19 that, that you're not going to make a good impact in this world unless your marriage. Probably one of the biggest billboards for Christianity in the world is a godly marriage. A man and a woman who deeply love Jesus Christ and deeply love each other. When you find that together, you're going to find more secure children. You're going to find a real beautiful billboard to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, you can't make an impact in this world of salt and light unless you deal with your honesty. That's where he said, you know, that you don't make your oaths. Don't be swearing on a stack of Bibles. Or I swear, I swear, I swear, I, believe, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you. No, just say yay when it's yes and no when it's no. Don't have to go through all kinds of things to tell people you're honest this time. Be honest all the time. And then he tells them, if you're going to make an impact in this world, you've got to be willing to show grace. If someone asks you to go a mile, go the second mile. If someone smacks you on the right side, well, take the, take the rebuke on the left side. You're going to have to, if you're going to make an impact in this world as salt and light, you've got to be willing to take a little bit more. You've got to be willing to go a little bit farther. If someone takes away your overcoat, well, give him your sport coat too. You're going to have to give a little bit more. And then finally, if we're going to make an impact, we must learn to love one another. It's anyone can love someone who's good to them, but to love your enemies is another story. And then he says, well, if this is going to be done, you've got to get these three Blessed spiritual basic disciplines down of giving, of prayer, and of fasting. And he gives the whole section of chapter 6 to us to remind us that, that prayer and, and uh, giving and fasting are antidotes to things we can get, things we can be, and things that we want to do. We have to keep them in check. There's nothing wrong with wanting things or wanting to be something or wanting to do something. 
But you must take these spiritual disciplines in order to keep them in check or you'll be out of whack, out of balance, and you will not be the testimony of a practical, true Christian we're supposed to be. Then as the end of chapter 20, or chapter 6, excuse me, he begins to give us beneficial principles. How we relate primarily to money and possessions. And he gives them two biblical blessed principles. He says, listen, remember that you're going to be investing in a heavenly world. Remember, you have two treasuries. You have a bank account here, but you have a bank account in heaven. He says, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because everyone has two treasuries. And those, that understanding of those two treasuries leads you to two perspectives. He said the lie of the body is the eye. If the eye is evil, then the whole body's full of evil. If the eye has light, then the whole body's full of light. And he tells you you have two perspectives. In this room, there are people that you can't stop thinking about what's going on at 1 o'clock today. Lunch. A ball game. You're here in church, and you've got your Bible on your lap, but you're not here. Your perspectives, whenever some of us, when we see the, the video about missions, or we see them, we're very interested. You know why? Because our perspective has been determined by our investment. When you're vested, uh, things change. I, I was speaking to a, a, a couple recently, and he said, you know, I believe now that we're much more invested in our relationship. I'm investing in her. She's investing in me. And, and you know what? The Bible says where your treasure is, there you're. We're, we're getting together. Why? Because they're, they're investing in that relationship. You know what makes you more spiritual? When you invest in the spiritual. You know what makes you more carnal? When you spend so much time thinking about the carnal. He said there's two treasuries, there's two perspectives, and there's two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. You'll cleave to the one and hate the other. You'll hate the one and cleave to the other. You can't serve God and money simultaneously. Money's a wonderful, wonderful servant. It's a terrible master. And you can't serve God and finances. And all of us have money on the middle. We have money on the brain. Every one of us, I would say probably every one of us has thought about money already today. I thought about it. I think if you thought about it, you go by the gas pumps and you see the gas prices are not as low as they used to be. Does that affect you or just me? You think about things that are going, it makes you think about finances. And he says, look, that's, that's how I wired you. I understand where a man's treasure is. His heart be also, that's one of the reasons why we learn to give to the Lord. And then he says, look, the second principle is not just investment. The second principle, that's the first principle. The second principle is take no thought. Stop worrying. Stop worrying about your future. He said, Sufficient to the day is is the evil thereof. You don't have to worry about your future. God's already there. He loves you. So stop worrying about your your stature. You can't add one inch to your stature or one cubit. You can't get taller or shorter. If you're sick, you can't heal yourself. You can go to the best doctors in the world. They can't. They have no ability to heal. They They can help, but they can't heal. Only God can do that. He said, I want you to not worry about your finances. I don't want you to worry about your fitness. I don't want you to worry about your future. I don't want you to worry about fashion. He said, look, if I can, if I can make the lilies spin and clothe them so beautifully, I can clothe you. I don't want you to worry about food. What am I going to eat? If I can feed the birds, 
and I can feed you. He says, listen, we're never going to be the Christians we ought to be practically until we learn to say, hey, by the way, when we have a worry as a problem, we need to admit it as sin. Because God says, be careful for most of us. We, we wouldn't see worry as a sin. I'm just, I'm just wired that way. I have to worry about everything. No, you don't. You're not going to find that verse in the Bible. God gets frustrated when his people are worried. We need to commit it to the sin. And also we need to study the vastness and the omnipotence of our great God. He knows everything. He can do anything. And he's everywhere. And he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Some of you precious people watching on live stream and listening on the radio today. You would be here, but you're worried. And that's between you and the Lord. But I, I wouldn't let fear keep me from doing what God wants me to do. Some of you, you know God's called you to serve the Lord. And you're worried that you're going to be able to feed yourself and your family if you did that. Fear is a problem. And we let worry just continue. And worrying is kind of like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you get nowhere. Don't let fear captivate you and bind you. Trust the Lord. He says, look, if you're worried, he said, realize it's a sin. Realize the vastness of your God and, and seek the kingdom of God and his. That verse of scripture, I love that verse. You do too. Let's say it together. But seek the kingdom of God and all. In context, that is right smack in the middle of my sin of worry. He says five times before he says that verse, take no thought, take no thought, take no thought, take no thought. Quit worrying, quit worrying, quit worrying. Instead, Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the stuff you'd worry about, it'll be landing on your front porch. God will take care of you. He's done that for millions and millions of other people. He'll do it for you. As he concludes the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, he turns the page. And the whole chapter is about evaluation. It's a blended evaluation. It's judgment. I'm saying evaluation, that's a nice word. The real word is judgment. The whole chapter is about the fact that you and I will one day be evaluated at the judgment seat of Christ for those who are Christians, at the great white throne judgment for those who have rejected Jesus. At the great white throne judgment, sin will be brought up. Everything you've ever thought, done, or said will be recorded and the books will be open. At the, at the judgment seat of Christ, all the folks who are there have been forgiven by the Lord. No sin is not, on the, is not a criteria. However, our service and our motives is. That's why the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, a great verse to look up and underline your Bible. And let us consider one another to provoke one another to love and good works. Evaluate each other and say, how can I help that person love God and others more and do more for God and others? Why? Because that's what's going to be on the table for every Christian. But in chapter 7, Jesus now Finishes out, it's the, it's the last section of his message, and he says, listen, now we're going to talk about evaluation. We're going to talk about judgment. Look, if you would please, at verse number one, we must hasten. The Bible says, what's the first word in the chapter? One more time, the first word is, and the first thing he says is, judge not, that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. 
And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or why, or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote is in thine eye, and behold the beam that is in thine own eye? Would you read verse 5 with me, everyone together? Thou first, and then... The Bible tells us the first thing about evaluation is don't be so quick to evaluate your brothers and sisters. You don't know exactly all that's going on. The Bible tells us this in the book of 2 Corinthians, judge nothing, evaluate nothing before the time come when the Lord will show you two things. He'll pull back the curtains of the evil works of darkness, the satanic opportunities and obstacles people were facing, and the hidden counsels of the heart. And when that's done, then every man shall have praise of God. Then God will do that. He says, you know what? Every time you and I try to judge one another, we're doing so with insufficient criteria. You don't know what's going on in my life. I don't know what's going on in your life. I've not lived your life. You haven't lived my life. You didn't go through my day. And you don't know what's going on deep inside of me, and I don't know what's going on deep inside of you. So when it comes to discernment, don't be quick to judge your brother and sister. The Bible does tell us that to every man's master, let him stand or fall. He said, follow peace with all men without which, in holiness, without which no one can see the Lord. That means stay in your lane. However, he does say this. Now, by the way, people say, well, you're not supposed to judge. You're not supposed to judge. But let me tell you something, friend. It's not, judgment is still as needed as it ever was. I cannot judge other people's motives or hearts, and I should keep my nose to the grind looking at what God wants me to do. But he says, especially when you've got a, you've got a two by four in your eye trying to pick out, a, pick out a piece of hay in someone else's eye. He said, thou hypocrite. You ought to remove that two by four out of your eyes so that you can see clearly if you need to help another brother who's got a problem. So there needs to be evaluation. And you cannot say you're never supposed to judge. Now, some nincompoot will say that somewhere, but that's not biblical. Matter of fact, you can look over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 15. You'll say, he that's spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judge of no man. So judgment is absolutely necessary. You've got to have it. As he continues the chapter, he'll say, listen, you've got to beware of false prophets. Well, how would you know if someone's a good prophet or a false prophet? You have to make judgment. How do you know if something's right or wrong? Well, you'll have to make a judgment. It's not, a, it's not like a, a, a blanket thing saying, oh yeah, you can't judge anyone. You can't judge. Listen, some, if someone's living in immorality, you can say, you know, that's, not, that's sin. It's, it's wrong. If you have a friend and they get mad and they curse someone or get mad at someone, you can look them in the eye and say, hey brother, that's not right. That's sin. He said, but he says, number one, make sure that you don't have that telephone pole sticking in your own eye before you try to pick out a piece of hay out of somebody else's eye. That's hypocritical. 
You know, the truth of the matter is, some people say, you know, well, we don't need all the Bible. We just need it. All we need is just the, we just need, I just love that, that, that Sermon on the Mount. It's just so practical. Let me tell you something. The Sermon on the Mount can't be done without God's help. If you think it gives you the fuzzy wuzzies to read 5, 6, and 7, you're crippled too high for crutches. You haven't seen this. You know, when God tells me to go a little farther, to take a little more, to give a little bit more, to love a little bit more, that does not come natural to any of us. People say, oh, you know, all you have to do is just live those four or three chapters. Good luck. You know what you need to do this? You need Christ to live practical Christianity. Living practical Christianity without Christ is just practical anity. <laughs> it does, there's no Christian there. You've got to have him. And so the Bible tells us here, he says, listen, when you're making judgment, be quick not to judge your brother and sister. And don't evaluate everybody else's. Keep your mind upon the Lord. But at the same time, if there ever comes a time for judgment, make sure your own life is clean. And don't be a hypocrite. Look at the next verse, verse number 6. The Bible says, Give not that which is holy unto dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine, lest thy, they trample under their feet and turn again to rend you. The Bible tells us here, he's given an illustration Primary to Jewish people, and there's two things. If you go to the Middle East, you won't see very often anyone with a little puppy petting a puppy. And there may be a little kid here or there, but dogs are just like, you want to stay away from them. They go through the garbage. They're just disdained. They don't like them. They put up with them for whatever they do, but they don't, no one really likes keeps dogs and, and loves them. Most of them, they don't like the dogs. And Jewish people did not like swine. And he says, look, whenever you're, whenever you're going around and you're trying to give judgment or trying to help somebody, he says, look, don't give that which is holy. Don't give your T-bone steak to a dog. And don't pass, take your pearl earrings and put them where their pigs are going to eat. They're just going to chew them up, spit them out, and then they'll come and bite you. You know what that requires to know when you should open your mouth and when you should shut your mouth? When you should offer help and when you should not? It requires judgment. Decision making. And I think it's pretty neat here, and I need to close today. And, and if you can only come this morning or tonight, I would suggest you come tonight to the service because this is when we'll finish it up. But let's look real quick at the next verse real quickly. He says, when it comes to judgment, look at verse number 7. Look at this in context. Read the first with me, would you? Ask, seek, knock. Verse number eight says, For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and him that knocketh it shall be opened to him. Or what man is there of you whom, if his son asks bread, he'll give him a rock or a stone? Or if he asks fish, will give him a serpent or a snake? For if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Therefore, all things, whatsoever ye would that men should do unto you, do even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. It's interesting here that God, after sharing with us how that we're not supposed to judge one another and their motives, and we ought to be very careful to make sure if we are going to help someone in their life, we need to be right with God ourselves. 
He says you have to decide when to open your mouth and help someone if they are if they're if they're responding like a swine would to pearls or a varmint or dog, or if they're going to take and accept what you have to have. You have to decide that. But then he gives in context, he says, look, this is why you need to pray. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock. And it's not just like one time. Oh, Lord, help me know what to do about this situation. It's like a continual asking, a continual knocking, a continual seeking. And saying, God, I need to know what you want me to do here. You know, Brother James talked about leadership this morning. But leadership needs a lot of discernment and wisdom to know what to do. How do you approach someone? What do you not to do? What's the decision you need to make there? And God puts this, this is the reason why you need to fall to your knees, John Wilkerson. And ask me for help. And seek me. Seek the word of God. Seek what I would do. Think the ways I would do. And keep on knocking persistently. And just like a father, if his kid said, Lord, if his dad said, Daddy, can I have a piece of bread? He doesn't throw him a rock and say, chew on that for a while. He says, hey, you know, can I have a piece of fish? He doesn't give him a, a rattlesnake and say, play with that. No, he said, and if us, being evil, know what our kids need and try to help them with it, how much more do our Heavenly Father want to help us? I think it's beautiful in this pastor's scripture that God definitely reminds us how important prayer is. Do you remember in the middle of the chapter? In the middle of chapter 6, he says, when you pray, pray this way. The longest portion of that spiritual discipline is prayer. And here, when it comes to making decisions, evaluation, and we're not done with that. He's going to talk about evaluation at the great white throne judgment later in the chapter. He's going to talk about false prophets, knowing who's right, who's wrong. He said, you're going to need to pray. You're going to need to crawl right back up to me and say, Lord, what is my decision here? What do I do in this situation? How do I help my daughter? How do I help my son? How do I help my, my marriage? What do I do here? I need your help, discernment, because decisions determine destiny. What you decide determines what's going to happen. And there where we need prayer as a primary help.